You're listening to The Edge with Aaron Karolnik, giving you the expert advantage in the world of gambling and fantasy. It is The Edge for April 15th, 2021. That's right. That's the day. That's the month. That's the year. It comes a little confusing at times these days, but we have you for the next hour. Welcome in and thank you for being with us. I am Aaron Karolnik, and we have an absolutely stacked show for you this morning. One of our favorites, Harley Redlick, the man banned from international sports books worldwide for winning too much. That's right, for winning too much. He will join me in just a moment with his top value plays for the night ahead in the sports world. Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports. He will enter Aaron's Sportsbook in about 20 minutes. And Jonathan Van Tobel from VEASAN Live down in Las Vegas at about 10.35. Now, here at TSN, we have internal emails that update us on the latest in the world of sports, whether it be hockey, basketball, football, whatever it may be. And a big email just arrived in my inbox from Kristen Shilton, of course, our Maple Leafs reporter here at TSN and TSN 1050, that says, Freddie Anderson, back on the ice, and he has not skated since March 19th. So it's been almost a month since we've seen Freddie Anderson in practice. So what does that signify? What does that mean for Jack Campbell, David Riddick, and what does it mean for the Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending situation as a whole? Those topics we will delve into a little bit later. Before we look ahead to a big evening in the world of sports with Harley, we have the Leafs and the Jets right here on TSN 1050. It goes at 7 p.m., we have to look back at an inexplicable result for the Toronto Raptors last night in their pursuit of the 10th and final playoff spot in the East. The Raps, they were without Lowry and Van Vliet, and they were five-and-a-half-point dogs against the San Antonio Spurs. I was all over San Antonio, well, minus 220. I figured, how could San Antonio, a team that aspires to be in the playoffs, playing against a team in the Raptors that has very little aspirations at all? And somehow behind the all-Montreal frontcourt of Kem Birch and Chris Boucher. Uh, OG Ananobi was terrific last night. Pascal Siakam, another big performance. The Raps defeating the Spurs outright at plus 180. And then you look at the other side, the team that they are chasing, the Toronto Raptors, the Chicago Bulls. They were hosting Orlando as nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Well, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? The Orlando Magic overcoming the odds, winning outright at plus 370, crushing the Chicago Bulls. If you're a proponent of the tank, like I am, maybe like I was, I'm not so sure anymore, you can't like what you're seeing from the Toronto Raptors. And they're likely to get Lowry and Fred Van Vliet back as early as tomorrow night against the aforementioned Orlando Magic. So perhaps... It's best to shift your focus to winning games as opposed to winning the right side of lottery balls. And considering the way the Chicago Bulls have been playing in the last five or six games, the Raptors, well, I'm not sure what they are, but it seems pretty likely that they will be at least a play-in team. I know exactly what our next guest is. He is fantastic. He is Harley Redlick. He is a gambling professor at Osgood Hall. He's won millions betting on ProLine, and as I mentioned before, banned from international sportsbooks worldwide. Fortunately, he's not banned from this show. Damn, I think I made that joke last week. In any case, good morning, Harley. What's up, man? I'm good. I'm good, Aaron. I want to thank you for helping me do my job and prove my point. I'm going to advocate betting underdogs today in the NBA, and you laying two and a quarter on the Spurs is 
exactly the reason you got to do the radio <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm a square. I'm a square. At least I was last night. I just have watched the Toronto Raptors night in and night out this year, and I feel, or at least I felt, that I had a pretty good inclination that they were packing it in. We've seen them rest their star players, and they're in the midst of a seven-games-and-ten-night schedule, which has been purely insane for a team coming off a pretty significant bet with coronavirus. And then last night against a team in San Antonio who I expected to dominate the Raptors did not at all come to fruition. And the reason that is is because those backups are playing like it's Game 7 of the NBA Finals. Some of these guys are hoping for 10-day contracts. Some of them are hoping for NBA money versus going to Europe or coaching high school basketball. If you got an opportunity, and I mean, TSN The Edge is amazing, but imagine ESPN called you, Aaron, and said, Aaron, you can do a TV show on ESPN at 3 a.m. Are you going to take that 3 (laughs) a.m. slot as if it's prime time and give your heart and soul into it? NBA is a grind game. It's 48 minutes of elbows and sweating and aggressively going after offensive rebounds. And I'd rather have a mediocre, talented player who's playing his ass off than a superstar who's trying to dodge injuries and is just eyeing the playoffs. Harley Redlick, you can follow him on Twitter at Sharp Edge Picks. I know you have some sharp picks for us this evening, Harley, and you are eyeing teams that maybe aren't playing for something in the standings, but the players on the court are absolutely playing for their futures, and then you contrast that against a lot of teams that have kind of solidified their playoff positioning and are kind of just coasting to the playoffs, eyeing what's ahead, more so what's in front of them tonight. Why don't you take it from there? So when you look at the NBA, I mean, you addressed a little bit of it. The the GMs are complaining about the compressed schedule causing injuries. There's the Kawhi load management. All this is awesome if you bet dogs. When you're betting big dogs, you don't have a superstar to sit on. Uh, You look at the Lakers tonight. I like the Lakers tonight. LeBron and, and, and AD aren't playing. We know they're not playing. It comes back to we got the grinders who they don't care playoffs not playoffs, they know that there's a good chance when LeBron and AD come back, that team wins an NBA championship. And they want to show on the stat sheet that they were active. They helped them win. Maybe they helped with seeding. So, I mean, you saw last week, the Lakers crushed Brooklyn in Brooklyn as an 11-point dog without LeBron or AD. Aaron, isn't it crazy the Lakers are such a dog? And we're still talking about them winning a championship. It's about the key injuries in the NBA, right? You're, you're right, and the Lakers are now fifth in the West, and we'll see how far they fall because it still could be a while until we see AD and LeBron back in the lineup. Adrian Wojnarowski reporting anywhere between uh, a week and perhaps as long as three to see those guys. So I don't know how much action they're going to get before the regular season. But you're right, Harley, and this isn't necessarily handicapping the statistics. This is more the mental side. The way you look at a roster construction beyond the superstars and the guys lower down in the lineup who need to assert themselves. So what are some of the plays you are focusing on tonight in the NBA? I'm on all four underdogs today in the NBA. The Hawks, the Cavs, the Kings, and the Lakers. You can get better than 2-1 to one on the Hawks and Lakers, 3-1 to one on the Cavs, and 6-1 to one on the Kings. If you follow my Twitter sharp edge picks later today, I'll give you the exact money breakdown. But if you bet a little more on the Hawks and the Lakers because they're the shortest of the dogs, if even one of the four underdogs wins outright, you're going to turn to the profit margin of about 4%, and all of a sudden you become the bookie in the sports book. I like all four dogs in the NBA tonight, and I like this trend to continue throughout the season. 
It's too hard to handicap the NBA right now like you did last night with the Spurs and, and the Raptors. So do the opposite. Let everybody else think they know when teams are locked and inflate the value and pound the favorites and just take the underdogs on the money line in this erratic COVID load management, compressed season. Take the dogs and you'll end up ahead in the long run. A lot of what you talked about with the NBA, the condensed schedule, the coronavirus, also applies in the National Hockey League. And I talked about Freddie Anderson making his return to the ice. The Leafs public relations staff just tweeting out that Nick Robertson has been cleared from the NHL's COVID protocol list and he is available to rejoin the Leafs this morning. So clearly the Leafs dodging a bullet as far as the coronavirus goes. And we don't really know the updated status of William Nylander, who still remains on the list. But at least Nick Robertson, we know, has been cleared. So that's a good sign. But when it comes to handicapping the NHL at this point in time, we're past the trade deadline. We're only, as teams have anywhere between 13 and 16 games remaining in their schedule. How do you look at that? So there's a few things I look at in the NHL, Aaron, and again, they all point into betting the underdogs. That's why I advocate underdogs on sharp edge picks. One, chaos theory. We all know hockey often turns on a goal, which is a bounce. You've got 12 huge guys skating on a surface, chasing a little puck. It ricochets off a skate, it goes in. When you, you, Breaks go both ways. When you're getting three to two on your money, You only got to get the breaks better than 40% of the time for it to work into your favor. The other thing about the NHL that makes it so crazy is I think we both agree, if you have an underdog and you get to overtime or a shootout, you're thrilled, right? You got pretty much a coin flip and you're getting plus money. So once you factor that in, Aaron, I love the NHL's ridiculous point awarding system where we're giving points to just tie and go into overtime. Like, I don't know what you think, Aaron. But I think it's kind of dumb to have a system rewarding boring third periods where the goal is just to get to OT and bank a point. Well, especially at this point in the season when teams are just trying to solidify their positioning in the standings. And home ice, not as impactful, certainly as it has been in past years, because at least here in here north of the border, we're not going to see fans in the stands to begin the postseason. So sure, you might have to travel if you're the Leafs to Winnipeg or Montreal or Edmonton, but it's not like there will be any distinct crowd advantage that you'll see. So maybe finishing first, second, third, fourth, wherever it may be, doesn't really apply the way it used to. So, yeah, you're right. The third periods kind of become meaningless. You just kind of grind out that extra point and, and solidify your place in the standings. So Harley Redlick is our guest. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Sharp Edge Picks. He's a sports gambling law professor and a man who's been banned from international sports books worldwide for his strategy. So you're going to want to listen to what he has to recommend to you. When it comes to the National Hockey League on the board tonight, Harley, what games in particular are you eyeing? So I like to avoid betting or fading the awesome teams in the NHL. The bottom line is those four teams, Colorado, Vegas, the Lightning, and the Capitals are awesome. And there's five or six horrid teams. We know who they are. The Sabres, the Red Wings, the Senators, the Kings, and the Ducks. Other than that, you've got a very competitive league. And any time you can get better than plus 150 or 3-2 to two on your money, do it. So the Predators tonight I like, plus 165. The Devils, plus 184. The Flyers, plus 151. The Jets, plus 155. And the Blue Jackets, plus 169. As a reminder, Aaron, to your listeners, you guys need to line shop. I'm providing lines from Pinnacle and Bet365 because they're easily accessible to me. Please also use Sports Interaction, Betcrist, and a host of other lines. 
and always find the highest odds you can get on your underdogs. If you want to delve into a game further, Aaron, should we delve into the Leafs? Please. What are, so, yeah, the Leafs are pretty heavy favorites against Winnipeg, which doesn't really surprise me considering they've been pretty dominant against Winnipeg and saved Connor Hellebuck in some amazing performances for the Jets. The Leafs would have a perhaps an undefeated record against Winnipeg tonight, but I'm going to imagine as the underdog you're backing the Jets over the Leafs this evening. I coded the Jets plus 155 versus the Leafs as one of my five value bets, and the reason is simple. When you get plus 155, if the Leafs-Jets hypothetical matchup went on tonight five times, do you honestly believe the Leafs are going to win it more than three out of five times? Because if the Leafs win it three out of five times and the Jets win it two out of five times, because the Leafs are the better team, but they're only probably marginally better, getting plus 155 makes you the bookie. You're the one turning the profit. If you go on my website later today or my Twitter feed, Sharp Edge Picks, I'm going to outline exactly how much I would bet on all five dogs. But again, if you take the Predators, Devils, Flyers, Jets, and Blue Jackets, you're getting better than plus 150. All you need is two out of those five guys to win, and you turn a profit. You're the bookie. Hmm, There you go. And not only do we provide sports betting advice and information, also some mathematical equations, which I like and respect. Harley, I want to get your take on the Jays. A up-and-down start so far, some injuries to the pitching staff, which have absolutely hampered them, but we've seen a lot of promise from uh, at least certainly Hunjin Ryu, Steven Matz, and some of the big bats in the Jays lineup. We talked a couple weeks ago about the Blue Jays' over-under of 87.5 wins. They're 500 now. How do you think that line looks at the current moment, and does, has your opinion of this team changed overall? No, we're exactly where I thought we'd be. I like the under, unfortunately. I love the Blue Jays. I'm a big baseball fan. Uh, my son Julian, who's been handling COVID amazingly, has told me the only thing he misses and is looking forward to his live sports, and I'm going to uh, hopefully take them as soon as possible. And my dream is that we all get vaccinated and we're cheering on the Jays live to a playoff run come August and September. But the problem with the Jays is still that the pitching is inconsistent and we're a power-hitting team. We don't have executioners. We don't steal bases. We're going to lose one-run games at too often a clip. I wrote an article a couple years back, and the Jays this year are back in the same spot as they've always been. Their run differential, according to Bill James, is plus 10, and they should be 7-5. and five. They're 6-6. Six and six. Why? Because they bludgeon an opponent 10-4 one day, and then they lose the close matchup the next. They pulled off a rare one-run victory yesterday. I don't think we got the pitching depth required. I have an article I'll repost on Twitter, Sharp Edge Picks, about the Blue Jays' awful record over the last 10, 15 years in one-run games. Homer hitting teams, which is what we are, tend to play below expectation. I love this team. I love the kids. I can't see us doing much better than 500 and getting to 87 and a half wins in a playoff spot is going to be a stretch. Well, Harley, we love having you as part of the show here on The Edge every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. We look forward to having you back in the very near future, and we appreciate the underdog love. We here at The Edge, we are a collective of underdogs, so we support the underdogs on the ice and on the court as well. Thank you for doing this, my man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Have a good one.
All right, that is Harley Redlick, Sharp Edge Picks on Twitter. Coming up next, Justin Cuthbert makes his Edge debut here on TSN 1050. Looking forward to chatting with Justin about the breaking news with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Freddie Anderson back on the ice. What does that mean for Jack Campbell, for David Riddick? And what does it mean for the last 13 games of the Toronto Maple Leafs from a goaltending perspective? Will we see Freddie Anderson in one of those 13 games? That could be a subject of conversation in Aaron's Sportsbook. That and more with Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports coming up next on The Edge. I need you to hold on. Heaven is a place not too far away. Back here on The Edge, it's Thursday morning, and it's game night here on TSN 1050. The Toronto Maple Leafs and the Winnipeg Jets. Coverage starts at 7 p.m. right after overdrive. And one of the best parts about doing this show, by the way, I'm Aaron Karolnik, one of the best parts about doing this show is the ability to speak to people whose work you admire, whose work you respect, and one of those people joins us next, right, actually right now here on the show, it is Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports who covers the Toronto Maple Leafs. What's up, my man? How are you? I'm good, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate that you've given me the same rush now on a Thursday morning while a pandemic rages outside my windows here as I've had outside the line at Caesars Palace Sportsbook in Vegas, so I appreciate the jolt this morning. Well, and we all need a jolt from time to time, and it is remarkable, Justin. You see the the pictures in Vegas these days. I have a friend who, who lives in the U.S. and is down in Vegas, and they're at pool parties, they're out for dinner, just living the life of luxury, and we are living anything but. But things will change. Just perhaps it might take a little bit longer here. On the subject of change, some news this morning out of Leafland that sees Frederick Anderson back on the ice for the first time since March 19th. And I wanted to get your perspective on what exactly that means. And, and we'll delve into the implications in Aaron's sportsbook in just a moment. But your thoughts when you see Freddie Anderson back on the ice and that's its ramifications for the Maple Leafs going forward. Yeah, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice sight to see Freddie Anderson back. I mean, this sort of purgatory AWOL thing was a little unsettling given what we've seen this season with him clearly fighting through an injury and then kind of being banished as his backup goes on an 11-0 run to start his season. Uh, all that sort of sat a little uneasy with me. Uh, so I feel like I'm sort of in the minority of those who are, like, cheering for Ed Anderson to get back. I don't know how the salary cap's going to work. Brendan Fritton has that unlocked, so I will leave that to him. But if Anderson can get back and play a role for this team, I think that would be, uh, uh, you know, at least a fair shake given how his career has gone in Toronto and given that we might be reaching the end here. So the Winnipeg Jets, they're coming off a 3-2 win over Ottawa last night. They were minus 180 favorites, so they took care of business. They head to Toronto tonight. They play their fourth game in six nights. An instance, they do not play well historically this season in fourth games in six nights, so you want to keep that in mind when handicapping it. I mean, it's a tough schedule, but it seems that every team in the NHL and in professional sports as a whole these days is enduring a tough schedule considering some of the game cancellations and such. So the Leafs are minus 170 favorites over the Jets. You can bet the Leafs in the puck line at plus 150, and the over-under is 6.5 goals. The Leafs have fared pretty well against Winnipeg this season. Connor Hellebuck has posed some problems for the Leafs. When you're evaluating this one tonight, the Leafs and the Jets, what are you expecting? Yeah, I mean, that seems like a pretty high price to pay on the Leafs, given, you know, there's some uncertainties with them as well right now. I mean, you know, we're probably expecting Jack Campbell, and, and David Riddich obviously stepped in, and I don't think it was really his fault uh, that the Leafs came up short the other night. 
But I think this crush can schedule, as you alluded to earlier, is sort of affecting everyone. So uh, right now, it seems like everything's sort of in this experimental phase for the Maple Leafs, who are waiting for Nick, Nick Foligno's arrival and waiting perhaps for Freddie Anderson to make uh, a determination on his season. So paying a lot of money on a one-off with Connor Hellebuck in net on the other side, uh, that might be a pass for me. Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports is our guest here on The Edge. And, Justin, we mentioned Las Vegas. Lots of sports books down in Las Vegas. One has opened up here in Toronto. It's called Aaron Sportsbook. Hey, that Aaron Karolnik guy, he's a hell of a handicapper, huh? He's so good he could change the odds of any bookmaker in the world. His numbers were so sharp. We gave him his own sportsbook. This is Aaron's Sportsbook. Very dramatic. I did not write the the content in there, Justin. That's from Casino. So just so it's, a little, it's a kind of a little presumptuous, maybe a little boastful. But yeah, this is Aaron's Sportsbook, and I'm going to give you odds on things that don't actually exist anywhere except in my own personal sportsbook. And we begin with the Maple Leafs and their horrendous power play. One for their last 38. The over-under on power play goals tonight against the Jets, 0.5. Are you taking the over? Are you taking the under, Justin? I mean, I probably need plus money to take the over on a, on a power play goal tonight for the Maple Leafs. I mean, this is, <laughs> it is completely out of sorts. So if it's even odds, uh, I'm not going to be uh, at the window at Aaron Sportsbook ready to give up my money anytime soon. I mean, uh, I, I think they're searching for answers. Everyone, Manny Maholtra, Sheldon Keefe, uh, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, all the guys that are involved in this power play seem to be in their heads right now. So, yeah, they could get a, you know, one off a shin pad. Austin Matthews could just, you know, you know, continue to or go it solo and, and just rifle one over the shoulder of Connor Hallibuck. Uh But I, I if, if you're giving me uh, even odds uh, with the way this form is right now for the Maple Leafs power play, I'd have to lean to the under. Yeah, I mean, if you look at recent history, there's no doubt. But then you then you recall, recall that at the beginning of the season, they scored 15 power play goals in their first 12 games. They were red hot. You imagine at some point they'll get going again. Will it be tonight? I suppose we will see. So, Justin, we saw Freddie Anderson on the ice this morning. At He is currently on the ice at practice. First time we've seen him since March 19th. I'm setting the over-under on appearances for Freddie Anderson in the regular season, so 13 games remaining, at 0.5. Are you taking the over or the under? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, if we were including the playoffs, I'd definitely take the over, even if the line was adjusted. Um, and I think the fact that we've seen him on the ice this morning maybe changes things a little bit. Um, but I'm not convinced he's going to be back. I think, I think both sides have every reason to want Anderson to be able to to be available and to play this season, whether it's in the regular season or in the playoffs. Anderson, first of all, I mean, his value in free agency, his legacy with the team, the only way he can improve on those two, team, those two things is getting back on the ice. And as much as the Leafs were wise to go out and grab David Riddick, the best goaltending duo for this team is Anderson and Campbell. And I don't think that matters over the next 13 games. And I think the salary cap obviously plays a huge role here. Um, but if they can get those numbers sorted out, if there's an injury to Campbell or Riddick, uh, it might force Anderson back in. But I think he's got to be pushing forward, and for that reason, I might, I might squeeze in. He, he gets one more start down the stretch as the Leafs gear up to the playoffs if the salary cap allows it. 
It is Justin Cuthbert from Yahoo Sports who is partaking, who has visited Aaron Sportsbooks, where Aaron Sportsbook, where we set lines on things that don't exist anywhere but Aaron Sportsbook. And today they involve the Toronto Maple Leafs and Nick Foligno, who's co- currently in quarantine. He arrived in Toronto in the last 24 to 36 hours, so he's got a week to spend in a in a, lo- in a hotel room somewhere. I'm setting the over under of 1.5 games that Nick Foligno will begin on a line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. How do you see that shaking out? Again, if we're including the postseason, I think that's definitely an over. Uh, okay. I think Nick Foligno, you know, we, we could probably expect him to get into nine or ten games, and I expect those nine or ten, ge- ge- ten games to be highly experimental on the part of Sheldon Keith because I don't think they have anything to worry about in terms of getting the number one spot in the North Division. Sheldon Keith likes to know what he has. That's why we saw Alex Galchenyuk on a line with Austin and Mitch when William Nylander was put on the shelf. I think he'll want to know what Felino looks like with Matthews and Martyr before the playoffs do, do roll around. And when the playoffs are uh, the number one focus here for Sheldon Keith, I think Zach Hyman or Mr. Fix-It for this team might be needed elsewhere at some point. So I think for those reasons, I think number 71 finds himself with the big boys at least a few times, maybe once before the end of the regular season, and maybe a couple times when the postseason uh, does roll around. Justin, I'm glad you mentioned Zach Hyman because he is the focus of our final prop bet in Aaron's sportsbook. And TSN, during a quiz, during a Leaf game last week, made some news, really angered some people, suggesting that Zach Hyman could be on the Canadian Olympic team in 2022. Jeff O'Neill went so far as to say there was a 100% chance that Hyman makes it. Aaron Sportsbook, not so sure. No is the favorite at minus 400, but yes at plus 350 for Hyman to make the Canadian Olympic team. Between those two options, where would you lay your money? Yeah, I get the feeling some of your colleagues are going to be lining up at the window trying to get that plus 350 from you. Um, But plus 350 probably isn't quite enticing enough for me. Uh, What Zach Hyman is lauded for, you know, forechecking, steering the puck in the right direction, the proper direction, freeing up space for his line mates, Those are intangibles that other, like, truly elite players in the NHL, which will be in consideration here, also have. Now, there is a chance, I think, because the left side, like it is with the Maple Leafs, is a little bit weak for Team Canada. I think Brad Marchand and Jonathan Huberdeau would be the only ones you'd really comfortably pencil in at this point. But either Nathan McKinnon or Matt Barzell or someone like that is going to have to shift over to the left side on the top line with Connor McDavid, you would think. So that leaves Zach Hyman fighting for maybe one spot, the fourth line, which makes sense. But with a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who has Selkie trophies, who can forecheck, who can create space, who can move the puck into dangerous areas, but can also win faceoffs with the best of them, convert chances outside the crease, contributes at a point-per-game pace. Like I, I just think the competition is going to be a little bit too steep for a guy like Zach Hyman. And as a quick aside – the one thing the pandemic has changed, like media can't get access to these players as much. I would love to see Zach Hyman's reaction to be uh, when he's asked about the fact that he might be in consideration for the Olympic team. I think that might tell the story right there. Oh, yeah, I'm sure if you asked Zach Hyman or anyone that question a year ago, you would have been laughed at. But the way he's been playing, it's almost indisputable that he's put himself at least in contention. That being said, yeah, it does seem a little bit far-fetched at this point. But, you know, a guy like Chris Kunitz has made the Olympic team. Rob Zaminer was on the Olympic team in 1998. But uh, I guess in Kunitz's case, he was more of an allegiance and being on a line with Sidney Crosby that propelled him there. I don't know if John Tavares will necessarily be part of the Canadian Olympic team in 2022. 
I was just going to say if Austin Matthews was Canadian and yeah. Nick Marner is obviously going to be on the team, I think you could maybe swing that because you know what you're going to bring in and just basically drop into Olympic competition. That that sounds uh, about right, but uh, uh, the teammate probably doesn't help Simon or Hyman in this regard. He is Justin Cuthbert. You can follow his work at Yahoo Sports. Terrific work, I may add. It's been a pleasure having you as part of the show, my man. I look forward to doing it again in the very near future. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right, that is Justin Cuthbert again from Yahoo Sports. You're going to want to follow him at J.C. Cuthbert on Twitter. A great follow for all the Leafs content you need. We're going to shift, we're going to shift uh, our focus to the NBA and the NFL, the NFL draft. Two weeks today, and the NBA, after a big showdown at the top of the Eastern Conference last night between Philly and Brooklyn, how do the odds stack up to win the East, to win the, est, the West, and to win the NBA title as a whole. We'll talk about that with Jonathan Van Tobel from VEASAN down in Vegas next on The Edge. Back here on The Edge, live on TSN 1050 in Toronto, streaming worldwide, tsn1050.ca. We had the Raps game last night on the station, a game in which they won. They beat the San Antonio Spurs. They were five-and-a-half-point dogs, which surprised no one, considering Spurs, they are in solidly in playoff contention in the West, while the Raptors... I mean, to call them a Jekyll and Hyde basketball team, considering who's in and who's out of the lineup from night to night, would be a very fair assessment. Let's welcome in Jonathan Van Tobel. He is the host of the Hardwood Handicappers podcast. He is a senior NBA analyst for VEASAN Live down in Vegas. We welcome him back to the edge. What's up, JVT? Nothing much, man. You know, we're getting down the home stretch. We've got a, actually exactly a month left in the NBA season, so every single one of these games more and more important as they become fewer and fewer, so this is a good time of year. It's a great time of year, and, and for Raptors fans, and I can speak as one of them, it's a confusing time of year because, on one hand, you want the Raptors to get the best draft pick possible, but at the same time, you're kind of holding out hope. Maybe they can rekindle the magic we saw, maybe not two years ago with Kawhi, but even last year in the bubble, they were very competitive, almost beating the Boston Celtics in the second round. So what do you make of the Raptors from a handicapping perspective? I know you handicap the NBA as closely as anyone, so when you see the Raptors and you see the lines released on a daily basis. How do you evaluate this basketball team? You know, it's hard because, you know, you use the term Jekyll and Hyde, and that's kind of been the point, you know, that's kind of been what we've seen with them from their power rating and, and from the, line, the lines on a night-to-night basis. But what really hasn't helped is Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry being in and out of the lineup. You know, this, this is what I think has kind of troubled some bookmakers in setting some consistent numbers. You know, you mentioned the number last inning in San Antonio. Spurs have been a team that in the last four or five games they've been playing really well, but they're a team that I've power-rated relatively well. And, you know, when you see a number like that for that kind of a team, it kind of puts up some red flags like, all right, why are we laying this kind of a number against a Toronto team that should be power-rated relatively similarly to the San Antonio Spurs? So I think the inconsistent nature of who's been available for Toronto has really made it kind of hard to kind of peg what this team is. But I will say, if you look at what they have done recently, and, and I think the coaching staff deserves a lot of credit, and I think that's what helps with certain teams like this, is you can kind of believe in this team on a night-to-night basis because Nick Nurse and, the, and company have done a good job. But I've just been kind of turned off by the lack of offensive punch, right? You know, last night, offensive rating for Toronto, 117. But you look at some of the games prior to that. Atlanta, 106.2, less than a point per possession against the Knicks. Offensive rating back-to-back games against the Lakers and the Wizards, you know, 102 flat for each of those. 
that's been the thing that I think has held Toronto back. You know, so if you get Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry consistently back within this lineup, I think they're a lot better than the power rating indicates. But they're not the only team that has been really fickle with who's been available because of this contact nature of the schedule. That's what makes it kind of hard. Yeah, I think when you're giving Malachi Flynn 30-plus minutes, who has a, few, a bright future in the NBA, I think yep. when you're giving Malachi Flynn 30-plus plus minutes, uh, I think it would reflect in your offensive rating. Jonathan Van Tobel from VEASAN Live is our guest here on The Edge. Let's go from the bottom of the East to the top. We saw the Sixers and the Nets play last night. The Nets again without Harden and Durant. And in total, the Nets' big three, Kyrie, Harden, and Durant, have played seven games together, just 186 minutes on the floor. So it's no surprise to see the Nets lose to Philly. Now Philly has the tiebreaker in the East and will have home court advantage should those two teams play. But the Nets still favored to win the East by a pretty significant margin at minus 115. The Bucks are plus 300. The Sixers plus 450. How big an issue is continuity when you're handicapping the Eastern Conference, the top of it, and the Brooklyn Nets in particular? You know, I, I, I want to say that it's an issue, but not a massive issue. But having said that, right, go back to last year in the Western Conference, we actually kind of saw it with the Clippers, right? You know, the Clippers were banged up throughout the entire regular season. They don't really play a lot together. They finally put everything together near the end of the regular season. They go on a pretty good run. They get to the bubble. They play relatively well, but they fall apart against the Denver Nuggets. And, you know, there's lots of reports indicating that from a personal locker room standpoint, things weren't really jiving. We're not really getting too much out of, out of Brooklyn on that. Kyrie Irving taking the personal days and Steve Nash not really knowing when he's going to be available is kind of troublesome. But you would assume that Kyrie's not going to take personal days once he gets to the postseason. I tend to lean towards these three in Harden, Irving, and Durant are so good offensively and fit so well together that when they start to play together, there shouldn't be that much of an issue. You know, and we were, I was actually just writing right before you guys called me uh, about this very thing. You know, we're talking about a plus 13.1 net rating when all three of these guys on the floor together. You know, offensive rating of 126.4. Those are really fantastic numbers for this team. And I kind of have faith they're so good offensively. Their floor is so high offensively when they're playing together that you just need to get them on the court and that it should work out just fine. But – I would not slight anybody who has doubts about whether or not they could put it together because you just saw the Clippers go through it, and you can't really argue with the fact that you know this has kind of been a weird season for this team. Mainly, again, and I don't like to put blame on guys, but mainly the, the discourse around Irving, right? James Harden is this time because of injury. Kevin Durant has this time because of injury. Kyrie Irving is this time because he wants to take personal days, and when I hear those kind of complaints when people fire back at me like that, there's no real excuse, to, there's no real response to that, so I can totally understand any doubt, but I think that once we get to the postseason, you'll have all three of these guys ready to go. The supporting cast is very solid, and I think they're the rightful favorite. But I will say from a number perspective, from a betting perspective, if you are looking at betting anything in the space of the Brooklyn Nets, it's betting against them because that's a really watered-down number. Circa out here offers two-way markets. You can lay well under 250 for them not to win the NBA title. There's a lot of value in a number like that. So the betting numbers are really watered down, but I still have faith that they should be the favorite of the Eastern Conference and that they could put it together if they all play together and they're on the same floor together. So I want to talk NBA title odds with you in just a moment, but, but if you follow Jonathan on Twitter, his handle, at MeJVT, Jonathan Van Tobel, and then in brackets, Harden for MVP. And I, I would imagine that maybe two weeks ago that looked like a lot more of a likelihood than it does today considering Harden's recent injury. But as far as the MVP goes, I was surprised to see Nikola Jokic's odds improve once Jamal Murray went down this past week, a very unfortunate knee injury for the Canadian, simply because Denver, I would 
presume, will lose games, will drop in the West, and that might make it more difficult for voters to pick Jokic over a guy like Joel Embiid, who very well could finish, his team could finish number one in the East. How do you think that will shake out, the MVP, and where do you see any value, if any, uh, in those markets? Yeah, Harden really lost a lot of momentum. He was actually really skyrocketing uh, for a while, and, uh, and I had been a big force behind that, really pushing that out there. The injury kind of knocks him off, so you're absolutely right there. And, you know, I think it's really interesting because, you know, you mentioned the odds kind of improving a little bit on Jokic when Murray goes down. Go back, what was it, like about a month ago or so. This actually happened to LeBron James when Anthony Davis went down. You know, the conversation around that was, hey, AD goes down, LeBron's going to have much more on his shoulders, which means he's going to put up better numbers. But then what happens, the Lakers go 1-5, and five, LeBron looks disinterested, then he ends up getting hurt, now he's out of the mix. So I am fascinated about what happens with Jokic going forward. Now, last night, they put together a really good performance from an offensive standpoint. The team itself, 137.6 offensive rating and beating down the Miami Heat. So one game, but you're off to a good start without Jamal Murray. But I think the flying the ointment is what you mentioned. Joel Embiid has been absolutely fantastic since he's come back here. He dropped 39 points last night, 13-29 shooting. He, he's continued to perform at a very high level. And the one thing that has really stuck out to me, and it's only happened once, we'll see what the other situations are like, but he did play in their last back-to-back situation, both ends. And that was kind of my worry, right? Because if you're talking about Embiid coming back from that injury and still missing time on second legs of back-to-backs, you're talking about missing well over a quarter of the season – but if he's going to play in every single game from here on out, and again, it's a compact schedule, it's a big if, you know, that really, really helps his case because he was separating himself before he got injured from the pack when it came to MVP. And so I think when we come down to it, if you're talking about looking at some of these numbers and Jokic being well over $2 to win this award, that is a little too rich for my blood. I think if Embiid is going to continue down this path of being available and continuing to put up numbers like this, and by the way, Right now they're in control of the one seed in the Eastern Conference. There's a really strong case to be made here for Joel Embiid. So I guess it comes down to what do the voters really weigh a little bit more? Do they weigh the fact that the team's success is a little bit better despite the fact that Joel Embiid has not been on the floor for them as frequently as Nikola Jokic? Or is it just availability on top of Jokic's status, which is you know rightfully so, he deserves to be the favorite because of the odd numbers he's putting up. It just comes down to availability and what voters you know weigh a little bit more in that regard. Personally, I, I think Embiid should probably be able to win it if he can play in all of these games, uh, but he does have some ground to make up. Jonathan Van Tobel, our guest uh, from VEASAN Live down in Las Vegas. Some breaking news from Shams Sharania just uh, moments ago. LaMarcus Aldridge announced that he is retiring from the NBA, was dealing with an irregular heartbeat, um, said how he was very concerned um, with the, the symptoms that he was dealing with. So the Nets without LaMarcus Aldridge, does that affect, how big of an effect do you think that has on the Nets and their chances to compete for an NBA title, Jonathan? I don't think it does much. Like, I, I yeah. don't want to be obviously callous. It's a very serious thing. You hope he's very healthy. Yeah. But I, I was actually a little disheartened when they signed LaMarcus Aldridge. Look, Nick Claxton has kind of emerged as like a really good piece for them. A young, a young center who they drafted, what, a year ago or so. Uh, he came out in some of these minutes and actually had started to replace DeAndre Jordan in the fourth quarter. He, he's been playing absolutely phenomenal. They signed LaMarcus Aldridge, and there's talks about, hey, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, he's going to be taking some minutes at center. He wants to be the starting center, all these things. And so that kind of worried me a little bit. And so I would say with losing LaMarcus Aldridge, it's not that big of a blow because I think you do have something in Nick Claxton that can kind of help you there in the fourth quarter. Now, 
it does help to have a veteran like that, right, in certain spots, a guy who can operate the low post the way that he does for a little bit for some other bigs who are used to kind of sitting back and sitting in the paint, right, matchups uh, like against the Milwaukee Bucks where Lopez is going to plant himself within the restricted area. But I think for the most part, it's not a loss where now all of a sudden it's, you know, DEFCON 1 or whatever, and now we've got to freak out because Lamarcus Aldridge isn't going to be available here. He was an ancillary piece. It was good to have and pick him up in the buyout market, but I wouldn't adjust my thinking on Brooklyn. If you had an opinion on them, I think it should remain generally the same without Lamarcus Aldridge. He is the host of the Hardwood Handicappers podcast. He is a senior NBA analyst for VEASAN Live, and he is one of my favorites in the gambling space. It is Jonathan Van Tobel. Thank you for doing this, my man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. As always, Jonathan Van Tobel from VEASAN Live. Some breaking news with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's not great. We'll tell you what it is next on The Edge. I'm just like it is. Woo, what a wild morning skate so far for the Toronto Maple Leafs. A lot of news has emerged in the last hour, which I am certain Andy Petrillo and Mike Johnson will break down extensively at noon when they bring you Leafs lunch. I'll run it for you quickly. Frederick Anderson spotted for the first time since March 19th. That's good news. Some more good news. Nick Robertson cleared from COVID-19 protocol. So he's back. And as he has rejoined the team, Rodian Amarov, the team's first-round pick, has signed an entry-level deal. But the unfortunate news, Austin Matthews has left the ice in practice and has been replaced by Adam Brooks. So we don't know exactly what the situation is with Matthews, but I can guarantee you on Leafs Lunch at noon, they will provide the latest information and everything you need to know. Thank you for being with us here on The Edge. Thanks to Christy Avero, 20 Fingers Behind the Glass, who did a fantastic job as always. Thanks to Harley Redlick, to Justin Cuthbert, and to Jonathan Van Tobel for joining the program. We'll be back next Thursday at 10 a.m. Thanks for being with us. We will speak with you then.